you know, God is speaking, but we're not always listening. So how can we better learn to hear God's voice? Maybe you just want to make the right decisions or you want to become more aware of God's presence throughout your day. Maybe you just want to better serve God and pray according to his will. Either way, how do we become better at recognizing God's voice throughout our life so we don't miss those moments when he's speaking to us? In order to answer this, we need to understand five specific things about how God speaks to people and how he's spoken to people throughout human history. That's what we're going to explore as we jump into the word of God right now. So let me take you to John chapter 10. It says, truly, truly, I, I say to you, he who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. If I take deep breaths, it's because I'm just a little wheezy, so I'm trying not to wheeze in the, in the mic. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and all the sheep follow him. Those are his own for they know his voice. Let me take you to verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is a powerful, when you really understand what Jesus is saying, that his own sheep know his voice. His own sheep recognize his voice. They're familiar with his voice. They know his voice. They walk with him. They listen to his voice. There is actually a progression here that if you didn't catch it, let me lay it out for you. The sheep are people who not only recognize God's voice, but firstly, they know his voice. Okay, this is, I'm going to lay out for you a progression, okay, that we're going to unpack throughout this series all about hearing God's voice. If you didn't know, we're starting a new series today all about hearing God and recognizing his voice, discerning his voice, knowing he's indeed speaking. And so the first thing you're going to understand, you're going to need to know, is that we as believers need to know God's voice. We need to grow familiar with God's voice. We need to, you know, become acquainted with God's voice. We need to spend time listening to God's voice through his word and in prayer, engaging with God, okay? The second thing that will happen is as you know God's voice, there will be times throughout your life where you will hear God's voice. God will be speaking, okay? And so this comes through, God speaks through a number of ways that we're going to unpack today. But when you know God's voice, you're going to hear God's voice. And this is the, this is the third step now, is you're going to recognize God's voice. Because the problem is, we're not always listening when God is speaking. We don't always recognize when God is indeed engaging with us and getting our attention. Okay, so when you know God's voice and you hear God's voice, you'll recognize his voice, okay? That, that means you'll initially recognize and sus- you'll have the suspicion that God is speaking. Something in your spirit will resonate with what you're hearing or, or perceiving in, in, in real life. And something in your spirit will leap and go, that sounds like my father. Okay, there's this initial recognition. And then from that recognition comes discerning God's voice. You leap from initial recognition to now I'm discerning it's his voice and I'm certain it's him. I have clarity on what he's saying. I have clarity on what he means. And I know it's indeed my father. Because sometimes when you hear a voice in the crowd, like when I hear my wife's voice, let's say we're in Disney World. I know some of you think that's demon land, but let's say we go there and I, and I hear my wife yelling from the crowds like she's she's way across the park and I hear her voice. There might be an initial suspicion where I go, that sounds like my wife. But once she gets closer or once that hap- once she speaks long enough, that initial recognition turns into me discerning that's indeed my wife and I'm going to start walking towards her or discern what she's saying. And when you discern what the father is speaking or when he is speaking, then you the next step is to receive what God is saying. 
where your heart is postured and receptive and, and humbly dependent on God speaking and you're receiving and, and his word. And then from receiving, you actually obey. You shema, you do what he says. You, you're not just listening where the, the sound of God's voice is traveling through your spirit or through your ears, but you're acting on what he's saying to do. Okay, God's voice, God's word always carries purpose. There's always an intent behind what he says. Okay, so we need to learn how to know God's voice. We need to know God's voice. So when we hear God's voice, we recognize, we discern, we receive, and we obey. And scripture is going to teach us that it's actually less about hearing God's voice and it's more about knowing his word. It doesn't value us. It doesn't do us much value to hear God a bunch when we don't even know his word enough to recognize that he's indeed speaking or to know his word well enough to recognize what he's saying in the midst of my crazy life. And so it's not just knowing that God is speaking. We need to know what he's speaking, what he's saying, what is the meaning behind his words, okay? So I'm going to lay out five specific things you need to know about God's voice today, about the way God speaks today. And whether you're a cessationist, which if you don't even understand that terminology, that's fine. You don't need to. Or if you're a continuationist, which again, if you don't know the terminology, you don't need to. Either way, wherever you land on this, I hope that through the word of God very clearly, you'll understand five key things about how God speaks to his people. Not just how God has spoken throughout human history, but how God continues to speak today. And the first thing, very important, <clears throat> that we need to lay the groundwork for this, is that God speaks primarily through his son and through his word, through the scriptures, through the divine authoritative word of God. And I've seen a lot of people in my comments lately just minimizing the word of God unknowingly, unconsciously. Maybe they're doing it on purpose, but we cannot minimize the importance, the sacredness, and the authority of God's word, the beauty, the majesty of the scriptures. Because Jesus is the living word. Jesus is indeed the word of God incarnate to humanity. He is the, the word that emanates from the Father. That's why that terminology is applied to Jesus. Because we see in Jesus the perfect expression and embodiment of the character, the nature, the ways, and the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God meaning it, God is the divine source of his word, all scripture. Now, of course, Paul writing this to Timothy, up to that point, they only have the Hebrew scriptures. But I believe that what Paul is actually capturing is not just the essence of the Hebrew scriptures, but everything that will be known and come to be known as the authoritative word of God, being the, the scriptures that we have today, Genesis to Revelation. I believe that God has validated his word. And Paul says to Timothy, look, all scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. In other words, God is the divine source. The word of God is the breath of God. <clears throat> Realized, actualized in our world with purpose. Okay, when God speaks creation into existence, we see this in Genesis. Or we see God fashioning and forming <clears throat> the material of the created world and structuring and putting things in place. That is God's word going to work. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 tells us that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. <clears throat> that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In other words, Paul is giving purpose to the Hebrew scriptures for the New Testament believers. We have we find a lot of um, divine revelation and wisdom and spiritual truth in the Hebrew scriptures. We don't detach 
from the Hebrew Scriptures. We don't remove ourselves from the Old Testament just because Christ is the substance and the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We actually find a lot of instruction, a lot of endurance, a lot of encouragement from what we read in the Old Testament. What God does, his, what His people do, how God treats His people. Okay, so keep that in mind. That God's Word, whether Hebrew Scriptures, Old Testament, or New, has divine purpose and incredible authoritative um, intention for us. John 17, 17 says this. I'm just trying to get you to understand the incredible importance of God's word in our lives. That God, If you're going to measure God's voice and discern and recognize him speaking, it is going to start with this basic fundamental principle that God speaks primarily through his word and ultimately through his son. And neither of those two things are in contradiction with each other. They're in perfect, cohesive union with each other. And so if we're going to recognize God's voice, we need to have a fundamental understanding of the scriptures. Or I won't have the basic building blocks of being able to discern God's voice. The filter through which I recognize the voice of God is my knowledge of scripture. The more I know God through his word, the better I'll perceive and recognize his voice throughout my life. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them. This is Jesus praying the high priestly prayer. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And that doesn't change today. That wasn't any more true in the days of Christ. That is just as true today. That the word of God is fully true. His, His word is the means by which he sanctifies his people. Meaning that is an incredible um, purpose behind the word of God to actually train and correct and instruct and shape and sanctify us and transform us into the image of Christ. Okay, and that's going to play a role into how we recognize the voice of God is that when God speaks, it is always going to carry the purpose of um, some kind of transformation at the deepest level of what God's doing through his word. He's transforming something. He's transforming situations or people or nations or cultures, whatever it is. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, and and the author of Hebrews is not belittling the prophets in any way. He's not going, prophets, Jesus, yeah. He's going, prophets, fantastic. But the way God speaks through his son is better. Okay, not to say one is garbage and the other one is gold. One is not as good and the other one is superior. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. In other words, if I'm going to discern and recognize the voice of God throughout my life, I really should become acquainted with the character of Jesus. I really should become acquainted with the ways of Christ and what he spoke and how he conducted himself. And that becomes the lens through which I'll perceive the voice of God. Because like Jesus says to the apostles, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you hear me, you hear the Father. Right? So no matter what, when God speaks, it will always be completely consistent with his word and with his son and with his son's work and with his son's character and with the revealed character of God in his word. And if I'm thinking God is speaking, but what I'm hearing is not consistent with the character of God or the word of God, then I'm not hearing God speaking. I'm hearing something else. So we need to have filters in place in order to recognize whether or not God is indeed speaking to me. And this is why your knowledge of scripture becomes the, the measurement of your ability to discern God's voice. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and t- through 21, Peter says this, And look, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place. In other words, how how carefully should I pay attention to the word of God, the prophetic word confirmed to the apostles? You should pay attention to that, that to the same degree you'd pay attention to that one tiny candle in a completely dark cavern or tunnel. Your focus is fixed on that light. Pay that much attention to the prophetic word. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, now catch this, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. This is not just relating to prophecy and interpreting God prophetically or hearing God's voice as a prophet or speaking prophetically as a prophet, as a mouthpiece of God. This is talking about just the general way in which God speaks or continues to speak or speaks to us or speaks through us, how God speaks, the the prophetic scriptures and the prophecy that we see in the Hebrew scriptures, all the ways in which God speaks, that doesn't come from someone's own interpretation. And so we need to understand this, that whenever God speaks, it will not be manufactured by my own brain, by my own mind. In other words, God's message cannot originate in my own mind or will. Though my mind or will might be able to recognize and perceive and align myself with what God is speaking, ultimately, I, am not, I cannot be the source of what God is saying. I cannot manufacture a message and then stamp God's name on that. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God is always going to be the origin and the source of what God is saying. That that breath of God, that word of God originates from God. And I either recognize it and I align myself with it, I receive it, right? Or I don't. But we cannot manufacture and make up these plastic words from God and then stamp his name on it like he's speaking when indeed he's not. And so that's the first thing you need to understand. Is that God speaks primarily through his word and through his son. And it, and, and those are the primary, the first filters, the first two filters I need to have in place. Otherwise, I can't accurately pinpoint when God is speaking or even if he is speaking what he's saying to me. But know this, that God's voice will always sound like his words. So we have a standard. We have a metric put in place. God's voice will always sound like his, his word and his revealed character and his ways found in the scriptures. And this has to be the first line of defense to guard us from lies and deceptive voices. That the word of God has to be the main metric that I, that I implement to determine if God is speaking and what he's actually saying. So God's word is a standard. Let me give you a practical, a couple practical examples of this. If you go to Galatians 5, we see the fruit of the spirit. And typically this is framed up as what God will produce through his people by his spirit. And amen to that. I'm all for the character of Jesus being produced in his people. But also pay attention to this. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What Paul has just described is the character of Jesus. In other words, when I read that, I go, okay, that, if that's what the Spirit of God is going to produce through me, if that's the character of Jesus being produced in my life, then there comes a, there's a very practical way in which I can begin to measure 
if God is indeed speaking and determine what God is saying. Is the word of God, when he speaks, it will be consistent with his character. It will be consistent with what produces love in me and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And if the end of that message doesn't produce any of these things, I would hesitate to say that God is speaking to you. Because what God says will be consistent with his character and will be at the core of God's message, there's transformation. The end goal is transformation. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 Uh, This is Moses on Mount Sinai saying, Lord, I want to see your glory. And the Lord actually honors that request. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, watch this, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What we have here very clearly is the revealed character and the ways of God. And so if I hear a message that I'm thinking is God, or if I hear a voice that I initially, my suspicion is it's God, right? But that message or that voice contradicts this character, contradicts these ways. And it's not coming from a place of, a God who is slow to anger or or gracious or merciful. If whatever voice or message I'm hearing contradicts the revealed character of God in Scripture, then it cannot be Him. Because God's Word will never contradict His revealed character. God's Word will never contradict His Son. God's message to you and His voice will never contradict His Word and what He's revealed as truth. Okay, that's number one is that God speaks primarily through His Son and through His Word, and that is our ultimate line of defense and our first and main standard by which I measure whatever voice I'm hearing and determine if it's God or not. The reason I start there is because this is where people will start to come after me in the comments. Because what I'm about to tell you doesn't contradict what I just said. It's actually built on what I just said. The second thing you need to know about how God speaks is that God does not always speak to people or even prophets the same exact way. Now, I need to um, preface this a bit. God speaks on his terms and according to his will. Amen? I don't decide when God speaks. I don't determine what he's going to say. God speaks when he wants. God speaks how he wants. And I don't decide when he does or how he does. All I can do is simply ask the Lord through prayer to make me aware of his voice or to help me recognize when he's indeed speaking or to speak into a situation, okay? But I don't determine um, how or the conditions, okay? So understand this. What I'm about to show you um, doesn't just prove that God didn't always speak the same way in the past, but it also rings true today, even with the complete... Um, canon of scripture that we have, even with Genesis to Revelation and the compilation of the New Testament, even with the completion of the scriptures, God does not always speak to his people the same way. Primarily, it is through his word. That is the first and main way God speaks to us. 
But beyond that, God doesn't always, his voice and the way by which he speaks to us, I'll say this, the way God delivers a message to us will not always look the same. The way God delivers spiritual truth and wisdom for us to glean is not always restricted to one dimension of speaking. So when people ask, does God always speak to prophets the same or his people the same? Though his voice and his character and his word is always the same, the delivery method and the way in which God delivers that message is not always going to be the same. So what I'm about to show you, I'm going to give you an exhaustive list and then you can go and research this yourself. You'll find that scripture absolutely um, validates what I'm saying. And by no means are we saying that all these different ways are going to be normative. Let, let me let me say that very clear. Um, let me here's the billboard. I'm holding it up. All these different ways I'm about to list. Okay, this is me holding the billboard with my giant hands. I'm not saying these ways are normative, but they do happen as frequently as God decides is best. And sometimes the frequency in which God uses a specific method may depend on the season of human history we're in or may depend on what God is doing in that season, okay? So let me just give you a list. God speaks through creation. God speaks through an audible voice from the clouds. God speaks through his word. God speaks through prophets. God speaks through his son. God speaks through dreams. God speaks through visions. God speaks through his spirit. God speaks through a still small voice like to Elijah. God's through, and if you go, well, that was a, a single case scenario, still happened. God speaks through his angels, through angelic messengers. God speaks through other people and the counsel and wisdom he's given people and by the spirit he's filled people with. God speaks in mysteries. God speaks in parables. God speaks in clear, clay, plain, clear, plain language. And God speaks in symbols and metaphors. God speaks in figurative language and hyperbole. God speaks in literal language. God speaks to groups and communities. God speaks to select individuals, select tribes, select cities, select nations. God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. God speaks to Israel from a flaming, thunderous mountain peak. God speaks to Elijah in that still small voice. God speaks to Job in a whirlwind. God speaks to Balaam, whether the donkey was a part of it or not. The donkey seems to be a a, a conduit through which God is trying to get Balaam's attention so we can say God spoke through a donkey. Sometimes God gets a word across that is imperative no matter what. In other words, sometimes God gets a word across no matter what. Whether you're receptive, whether you're postured here, God will get a word across because Well, his plan's going to advance no matter what, and no one's going to get in his way. Other times, a word God brings actually depends on the listener being receptive and open to it. In other words, God is a big boy. He's sovereign. He's he's absolutely omnipotent. He rules the universe. So I think he can definitely make sure his word hits the target if it's priority. But when when his divine plan of redemption doesn't hang on a message being received and it's not crucial or that imperative to move the plan of salvation forward, well then, God will leave that word up to the person being receptive or not. So guess what? God speaks speaks a bunch of different ways. Now let me give you some scripture. Very clear. 
scripture to validate what I'm saying. And if you're wondering about prophecy and where this leads us prophetically, what about the gift of prophecy? And what about prophets? For today, I've already done a series all about New Testament prophecy. I would encourage you to go check that out. I'll link it in the description of this video when it's live uh, later because I have to edit after this is ended. So once it's edited, probably this evening. Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. You know when you're sick and your ears are plugged and you can hear your voice ringing? It's the worst. But I'll pretend like I don't hear a million of me in my own head. And he said, this is um, the Lord comes down really to warn Aaron and Miriam for speaking against Moses. He's warning them, you shouldn't do this. And God says, hear my words. Aaron and Miriam have spoken against Moses. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. This is an established fact. I speak with him in a dream. An established fact. Not so with my servant Moses. In other words, this is unique. He's unique. Dreams and visions, typical of prophets. But with Moses, it's different. He's faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. That's part of why it's clear. Because Moses is perceiving God and actually experiencing him in some kind of visual capacity in a way that confirms and brings clarity to what he's speaking. And he says, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now from this passage, God himself admits that at least that, at that point in human history, the way God conducted himself with the people of Israel, it's an established fact that when it comes to prophets, and we go, well, I thought Moses is like the first prophet. Apparently not. It's an established fact that, look, if there's prophets, I'm going to speak in visions and dreams. What does that mean? Riddles. Like I said, parables, mysteries that have to be, you have to dig a little bit. You have to pray a little bit. You have to seek a little bit. Can God speak clearly? Absolutely. He's a big boy. Does he always? Not necessarily. It's exactly why Jesus comes and speaks in parables. It's so that people actually seek him for understanding. And if you don't seek him for understanding then your own human wisdom doesn't bring you to the conclusions you're supposed to come to. <coughs> First Corinthians 2 makes that very clear. And so God tells Moses, or Miriam and Aaron, these couple dorks that messed, messed up in this moment, he's going, look, I, I speak mouth to mouth, very clear with Moses, and you weren't afraid to speak against him. I speak differently than I do with other prophets, dreams and visions. Okay, so that seemed to be at least for the prophets, the typical way that God would speak, reveal messages in riddles. Why? Because God can. And God has purpose and divine intention behind what he does. And who are we to question what the Lord does? Uh, Job 33 seems to confirm what was said in Numbers. God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. Why would God speak in multiple ways if man won't perceive it? Well, because God is mysterious in that fashion. And if he doesn't, if he wants to, a message to be delivered to some, but concealed to others, he'll do that. If he wants a message to be revealed to those who are seeking for understanding and concealed from those who don't ask for understanding, he can do that. If God wants to get a message across to someone and <clears throat> if other people know about it, then that message is in danger of being thwarted, then he'll get it across to the people he wants to without it being interrupted. The same way that God delivers messages to Elisha. 
Elisha ends up knowing about the enemy king. I think it's Assyria. Assyria is at war with Israel. And the king of Assyria, or it's or it's the king of Syria, either way, that king, every time he d- develops a plan and a strategy in his castle with his boys, he makes a plan, he executes it, and it fails. It fails every time. And it's because God is actually revealing those plans to Elisha secretly behind closed doors so that Elisha can tell the king of Israel, hey, Syria thinks he's a king of Syria, thinks he's a big boy. He's got a few archers in the trees. Look up when you're walking. You know, so Job, <clears throat> book of Job here, I forget who's speaking. Um, this is Elihu, Elihu, correct me, Silver. How dare you? He's speaking to Job. He says, God speaks in one way and in two, though man doesn't perceive it. So there is such a thing as God speaking in a way that man doesn't perceive. And there's nothing wrong with God. Maybe that's the way God wanted it. Or maybe there's an issue with people's spiritual reception. He says, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, when while they sleep, uh, while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. And he keeps back his soul from the pit his life from perishing by the sword. So God speaks in mysteries in a way that isn't perceived by people. God can speak in dreams and visions. Is that what he means when he says in a way that man doesn't perceive? Possibly. Other times, the dreams or visions can be perceived by people. We see this with Daniel. We see this with Joseph. Sometimes they're not perceived by the one having the dream on purpose so that someone else can come and validate the name of God in order to answer that and bring clarity to it. Acts chapter 2. New Testament, of course, this is pre-finished canon. It's not when the New Testament is completed, but I don't think the argument necessarily applies here when people want to go, wow, the New Testament wasn't completed, so I don't think God changes the way he speaks just because the canon of Scripture is complete. I've explained this over and over. Acts chapter 2, verse 16, so forgive me if I seem impatient. I just That, that line of reasoning for me is restrictive limiting God, boxing him in, and based on human reasoning alone. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So we have Peter standing up, men speaking in tongues, other people speaking different languages, hearing the gospel in their own native tongue, and going, these guys are drunk. These guys are out of their mind. You know, other people who can understand the message in their own language are going, huh, I'm understanding what they're saying about the praises and the glory of God and, and Jesus and Messiah. And, and Peter stands up to clarify what's happening. I know they seem drunk, it's too early. You know that, Tom. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Joel said this would happen. In Joel chapter 2, I think. I don't know. Somewhere in Joel. Aha! Joel 2, 28-32. Told you. And in the last days, he's quoting Joel now, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is not new in, in, in when it comes to like, we had no idea. Joel told us. He told us this would happen, but it's new like it's finally happening. God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now this is talking about prophesying, but in order to prophesy, you are hearing a message from the Lord to declare or speak to his people. Some people think of prophecy as like, God shuts off. God shuts the man off. Whoa! 
and they turn into like this mindless robot where the spirit of God is like controlling them. Like, Go left, turn right, say this. And they're, they're not even controlling their bodies. They think that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is actually like men of God are carried along by the spirit, not possessed against their will, not knocked unconscious so that God can take the wheel. This is not Carrie Underwood. This is, <clears throat> if you get the joke, you get it. This is people who are willingly receiving what God is saying in order to deliver that effectively. Their will, their heart, their mind is engaged and aligned with the work of the Spirit, and God has chosen to deliver a message to them. And even if they're not receptive and not willing, God will get it across through someone else. Here we have people dreaming dreams and seeing visions. Why would God do that? Because the Spirit of God comes. Now, in the book of Acts alone, God speaks by His Spirit. God speaks by His angels. God speaks by prophets. God speaks by visions and trances. And Peter goes into a full-on food coma on the roof, or maybe a starving coma. By dreams, God speaks in dreams. God speaks by His Son. God speaks through the counsel of the apostles. So does God speak the same all the time? No. But will his voice always be the same? Yes. His voice will always be consistent with his word, with his character, with his son, and with his revealed ways in the scriptures. Always. But the delivery method of messages from God is not always the same. There are three more questions we're going to answer. <clears throat> and these three questions are going to be the three other points. So point number one, God speaks primarily through his word. His voice is always consistent with his word. His voice will never contradict his word. Number two, God does not always deliver a message to people the same way. Number three, when God speaks it doesn't always carry the same purpose or the same exact point to it. There might be a basic, fundamental, core purpose behind every message, but I mean like what it's going to accomplish in a general sense. Uh, I'm going to show you in Scripture because people ask when God speaks, doesn't it always accomplish the same thing? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Hey, real quick, I want to tell you something you might not know about. In the description of this video, you can find the links for all the free resources we have available. And yes, these are all free. Our online Bible study classes, our online church community on the Discord app, all of the sermon notes from our past messages, Bible study cheat sheets, Bible study workshop videos, both our podcasts, and more. Visit AboveReproachMinistry.com for all these free resources. And while you're there, grab some church merch or grab a copy of my book, Fruitful. This book outlines the essential keys for the most abundant, satisfying, life in Jesus. It's perfect for new believers and those who want to take their faith to a new level. Again, all these links can be found in the description of the video below. So go check that out and let's get back to the video. Okay, when God speaks, it doesn't always carry the same purpose. <clears throat> Let me take you to Ezra. Let me show you what I mean. Sometimes God's word is to, uh, to warn, to bring judgment, to further solidify someone in their... Um, condemned state, to encourage, to strengthen sometimes, to, to, to heal, to bind. So Ezra chapter 6 verse 14, I'm going to specifically address prophetic words, like when God speaks through prophets, and because this was an argument that I put forth in the, in the series on prophecy, 
And I think it's helpful here as we examine how God speaks because God spoke to prophets. That's what made them prophets. And they would prophesy, deliver the word of God as his mouthpiece to people. And each instance of prophecy or someone delivering a message from God has a different purpose. Ezra 6.14, it says, The elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying, the declaring of God's word, delivering God's message from who? Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house, this is the second temple. The second temple was built and finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius, the king. He's a Mede, I think. So either way, what we have here is the people of God uh, under, you know, Ezra. And I think Nehemiah is a part of it. You know, they're building, rebuilding the destroyed temple in Jerusalem. How does God encourage the hands of his people? How does God move his people to finish that and actually bring it to completion? What is the means by which God, you know, gets his people to finish the temple through the prophesying of Zechariah and Haggai? They're declaring God's word strengthened, encouraged, and helped the work to prosper. Otherwise, this section is unnecessary. It should have just said, the elders of the Jews built and prospered. They finished their building. No, they prospered and built it through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. The word of God is the means by which that work was brought to completion. Pretty cool. Hosea 9.8, it says, The prophet is the watchman of God, Ephraim with my God. Yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways, and hatred in the house of his God. Now, this is over and over the job of most Old Testament prophets, especially during the most troubling times of Israel in their history. Most of the prophets God sends are to warn judgment is coming. The prophets are a watchman on the wall, knowing danger is coming, seeing it on the horizon, and then warning the people so they have time to make preparation to defend themselves or escape judgment. So when God sends most of the prophets in the Old Testament, a lot of it is them are bringing messages of warning, messages of judgment. So in that sense, God is telling them, change your ways. You know, Nineveh, God brings Jonah and he says, God's going to destroy you. They go, we repent. God's word was to move them to repentance, to warn them, to change their mind, to turn them in faith. And that word accomplished its goal. Hit the target. Hosea 12, 13, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt. Now, remember a prophet's job is to declare the word of the Lord to be a mouthpiece for God, for his messages to flow through to his people. Okay, so a prophet is just a walking mouthpiece for God to speak to his people through. So by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, Moses. And by a prophet, he was guarded, Moses. What is the, what is the mechanism God put in place to guard and, and bring his people up from Egypt? Well, through the proclamation of the word of God through Moses through the delivery of the word of God through Moses. Not just that, but that is the main role of a prophet, is to deliver the word of the Lord. In Acts 15, 32, it says, Judas and Silas were prophets. Again, those who deliver the word of the Lord and hear from God to deliver those messages. 
And they encouraged and strengthened the brothers with what? Many words. Supposedly from God being prophets. Not words they made up. Not words that are just to flatter them. You're looking good today, Sally. Oh, thank you. These this is in true, genuine spiritual encouragement and strengthening that comes from God. Sometimes God's word is to have that effect. Other times it's to warn, to guard you, to keep you from what's coming. Other times it's to prosper you and, and effectively help you accomplish the work you're called to do. In Job 33, we saw this earlier, <clears throat> but I want to bring you back to it. This is God speaks in one way and in two, though man doesn't perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber, why? Then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings. So the way God speaks to people in dreams and visions, sometimes, not always, but we see this with Pharaoh, we see this with Nebuchadnezzar, um, God gives a dream, and in the dream, he's warning them of what's coming in order to terrify them to action, that he may turn aside man from his deed. We see this with um, Abimelech, I think is who it is, King Abimelech, who uh, Abram gives Sarah, his sister, to King Abimelech, which, what a weird move, first of all. He, she's just my sister. You can have her. And she's like, I'm a little more than that, right, Abraham? She's my sister. Don't listen to her. Again, he gives his sister wife to King Abimelech, and then God warns King Abimelech in a dream, you're a dead man if you keep her. He warns. He conceals pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit. So when God speaks, it doesn't always accomplish the same thing. It doesn't always do the same exact thing. There's purpose and intent that is unique to the situation and the purpose and the season of human history that we're in. And we got to be receptive to God, you know, I guess the flexibility of purpose and intent within messages. Okay. So know that. Because sometimes what we do is I heard God in one season and it was purpose to do this. So because I'm hearing God now, it carries the same purpose. Not always. Sometimes it's to warn and protect. Sometimes it's to give you guidance in a decision. Sometimes it's to strengthen your hand to keep doing it. Sometimes it's to encourage you in the midst of distress and discouragement and, and you know, self-loathing. And sometimes it's to, I don't, you, I don't know, like get you to do something for someone else you didn't even think to do, you know? Um, so number four, God's personal messages. If I didn't already establish this, number one, God always speaks Primarily, primarily God speaks through his word. His voice will never contradict his word. Number two, God doesn't always speak to people the same way. Number three, God's word, God's voice doesn't always accomplish the same exact thing. And number four, God's personal messages can also not only be for the individual receiving the message, but it can also be for other people. First Kings chapter 17, let me give you an example. God gives a message directly to Elijah for Elijah. In other words, Elijah is a prophet. He hears the voice and the word of God for other people. But in this case, he hears a word for himself. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Drink from the brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord commanded. That was a message from, a, or from God to a prophet for the prophet himself and for no one else. No one else in his close proximity at that point in human history benefited from that. 
Well, you could say indirectly, sure, you can go that far because God preserved Elijah, then other people get to benefit along the way. Sure, sure, sure. But the message was directly for Elijah and his preservation and protection. <laughs> First Kings 13, verse 8 through 10, uh, we have this weird exchange going on, man. Uh, a prophet is sent by God to uh, bring condemnation, uh, judgment against Jeroboam, this wicked king. Okay, so this prophet is sent by God to bring a message of his impending doom. And then this prophet is told by God not to, um, I forget what he's told to do. The king said, entreat now. And the king said, come on with me. And the man of God said, if you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. <clears throat> For so it was commanded to me by the word of the Lord, don't eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. And that message was just for the prophet. I know that story is kind of like really confusing, but just think about this. The prophet is sent by God to bring a word of judgment against the king, Jeroboam. Jeroboam goes, hey, want to have some dinner? Uh, the prophet goes, nah, fam. God told me directly I shall not do that and to not even go the way I came, presumably so people wouldn't follow him. I don't know. But uh, he got a message for himself from God. And I think this is what a lot of people who um, don't necessarily believe the gift of prophecy is for today, or I think it has ceased because of the completion of the canon, typically they, they don't like the idea that a person can receive a word that just benefits themselves. Because they'll go to First Corinthians and say the gifts were given to not be self-benefiting and only about me but to benefit others. And I go, absolutely, the gifts are for others, but that doesn't mean I get no benefit from having the gift whatsoever. And that doesn't mean I can never benefit from hearing the voice of God. That's kind of weird. Uh, Jeremiah 7.27, it says, is God telling Jeremiah, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they won't answer to you. Say to them, this is the nation that didn't obey the voice of the Lord their God, and they didn't accept discipline. Truth has perished and is cut off from their lips. Jeremiah receives a message for the people, right? He, God says, deliver this message. But there's also a private message for Jeremiah alongside that. Know this, they're not going to listen to you. So sometimes most of, you know, Old Testament prophecy is for the congregation, for groups, for tribes, for communities, for families, for the nation. Um, you don't see a ton of private revelation or, or private speaking where it's only about the individual and it, it doesn't do, that word is not for anyone else. These are some unique scenarios, um, <clears throat> especially as we get into the later years of Israel's history. I'm not saying God doesn't do that and the frequency of God doing that determines whether he'll do that today. I'm just saying um, that, that there's variance in the way that God delivers messages Sometimes the message is just for the individual. Sometimes it's a message for other people. And other times there's a private message for just the individual and a message for the others involved who will hear. Daniel chapter 4, verse 20 and 22. Um, Nebuchadnezzar receives um, a dream about his own life, pretty much. And Daniel interprets. He says, my Lord, the dream is actually for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong. We don't have to get into the dream today. Just know Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. King Nebi had a dream. And uh, you, you saw a tree. It became strong and its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit was abundant. 
It was food for everyone, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens. Your dominion to the ends of the earth. And Dan is going to say, God's about to chop you down. If you do not humble yourself and admit that the Most High, God Almighty reigns, you will be chopped down. So Nebuchadnezzar received a message for himself that he couldn't even discern. So God sends Daniel to validate God and his name and his glory and also point people to himself. Okay? So let me take you to one more thing before we end today. And this is just to give us more of a foundational understanding so that as we move forward, at least these pillars are in place. Number one, God speaks primarily through his word and his son. Number two, God doesn't always speak to people or deliver a message the same way. Number three, when God speaks, it doesn't always accomplish the same purpose or carry the same intent. Number four, God's personal message to an individual when God speaks to you, it's not always just for you and it's not even about you sometimes. Sometimes it's for someone else. Yesterday, God told me to buy someone else's meal as soon as I walk into the restaurant, plain as day. I went, dang, and I did it. I drove away before I did, but then I had to come back and go, I got to obey, and it ended up being what the Lord said. It wasn't even for me, for someone else, right? You just have moments like that. The last thing you need to know is that when God speaks directly to someone, even if, if, it, if we're talking apart from Scripture, not in contradiction to Scripture, not in opposition to Scripture, not without Scripture guiding that, I'm saying when God speaks directly to someone, apart from the open Bible, right? Or even when God speaks through them without a mediator interpreting, that doesn't make them a prophet. Because I think when people hear that God still speaks today outside of the written word of God that we have, right? Not to the neglect of, but outside of that, he does also speak. When people hear that, there might be this thought in them that goes, well, hold on. If God speaks in that way to someone without a mediator, if he speaks directly and personally, doesn't that make them a prophet? And I, I say, that's a great question. That is a great question. I, I think scripture would disagree strongly with that conclusion that people come to, that if God speaks directly and personally to you apart from the open word of God, right, that makes you a prophet. That I think the scriptures actually push against that. And if that's true, then here's what this means that people who are non-prophets, not like an organization, people who are not prophets can receive uh, messages from God through dreams, visions, um, in their spirit, by the spirit of God, just dropping a word in their heart, however you qualify that, that can happen. And they don't have to have the gift of prophecy per se. They don't have to be a prophet per se. God can still do that. So let me give you a few examples I can take you to these passages if you like. Um, again, if I show you a butt ton of examples of God speaking directly to someone who is not a prophet, some of which are actually enemies of God, then that builds a strong case that God indeed speaking to someone doesn't make them a prophet, which means you don't have to be a prophet or have the gift of prophecy in order to hear the voice of God outside of the written word. 
not without the guidance of the written word, not in opposition to the written word, but apart from the written word, God can speak. First Kings chapter three, verse five, we have a man named King Solomon. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, not a messenger, not an angel, not a secondary individual, or God's like, hey, you look pretty bored, angel. I got a job for you. Ah, dang it. Not Solomon. Solomon. Go to him in a dream. That's not happening. God comes to Solomon in a dream. God comes to Solomon and says, what, what shall I give you? Can you imagine? So yeah, we know how this ends. Solomon's not a prophet per se. He's just a king who ended up hearing from God in a vision or in a dream. In Job chapter 38 through 40, we can go through this whole chapter, which if you need a nice spiritual kick in the butt to encourage you, to humble you, to motivate you, whatever it is, I would encourage Job 38 through 40. It's a good reminder, something we should read every day. But in Job 38 through 40, I'm not going to read two chapters for you. God speaks directly to Job, directly to Job. Okay, and you can read that passage. Now, Job is not explicitly referred to as a prophet as far as I'm concerned. I could be wrong. Um, But let me take you to Genesis 20. This is the man I was talking about, King Abimelech. He's the king of Gerar. Gerar. What a name. What (laughs) What a name. Abraham said, she's my sister. Told you I wasn't making it up. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. God comes to Abimelech in a dream. Not an angel, not a messenger. God directly comes to Abimelech in a dream and says, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman you've taken. That's Abraham's wife. Man, I wish, I would love for God to stand up for me like that sometimes. Doesn't always do it like that. But man, if he just gave mean people in my life bad dreams, that'd be awesome. It'd be super cool. He'd be like, Don't mess with me, Tommy. You saw what happened to Charles. Yeah, I did see what happened to Charles. You know what, Jason? I'm so sorry. Yeah, say sorry again. Or I'm going to ask God to give you a bad dream. In Genesis 20, God speaks to Abimelech. And Abimelech's not a prophet. Abimelech's not even a man of God, per se. He does listen, but Abimelech's not a prophet. God speaks directly to Abimelech. Pretty cool. In Daniel 4, 28-32, We see Daniel interpreting the dream that Nebuchadnezzar hears from the Lord directly. Now watch. Or sorry, that's not happening here. Instead, you know, after Daniel interprets the dream, King Nebi's on his roof just looking at his empire going, I'm the man. And he has that song playing in the background. I'm the man, I'm the man. And just just looking at his empire going, I'm unstoppable. And while the words were still in in his mouth, where he's going, look at this, look at the glory of my majesty, A voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Now, Daniel did warn King Nebi this would happen. And seems to be a message directly from God. You can say, well, it doesn't say from God. It says from heaven. I'll give you that. That's fine. Okay. You can take King Nebi, but King Nebi does have that dream earlier. 
In Genesis 31, 24, God speaks directly to Laban. Now, Laban ain't the kind of fella you want at your party. Laban's a lying, cheating weenie. He is. Cheats Jacob over, and of course, Jacob earns it. Jacob's kind of a scheming weenie as well. But Laban, worse. Laban outright, unapologetically, brutally deceives and abuses Jacob. Um, but God comes to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night, and God directly says, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. This is when Jacob's running away with his, 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 his many wives, and um, Jake, uh, Laban is chasing him, trying to hunt him down, and he's getting close. He's closing in. He has to camp for the night. He falls asleep. God goes, my boy is Jacob. You're not my boy, Laban. <laughs> Jacob is. So be careful not to say anything good or bad about him. In other words, God's warning him not to mess with Jacob. God comes directly to Laban. Is Laban a prophet? No. J- John chapter 12, 28 through 30, the crowds assembled around Jesus actually hear God's voice. This is where Jesus goes, Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it. Okay? They heard the voice from heaven, but they said it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. So guess what? Other people thought it was an angel speaking. Some in the crowd just thought it was thunder, a big roaring, mighty crackling in the sky. And Jesus, I don't know if other people hear this message directly, but it's as if God is declaring a private message to his son that is loud enough for other people to hear, but not perceive what's being said. So guess what the crowds hear? A voice from heaven. They hear God speak. Now, is it directly to them? No, not necessarily. So you can have that one. Acts 9 verse 10 says, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, not a prophet, just a disciple. And the Lord said to him in a vision, and that's all we need to know. He'll go and tell Ananias, you remember Saul? He's like, Saul? Yes, Lord. Well, he's my guy now. I need you to heal his eyes. You, you, need, you need me to heal his eyes? You can't do that yourself, Lord? You spoke the heavens into existence. I'm Surely you can just, just kind of clap your hands. His blindness will go away. No, Ananias, you're my guy. Okay, <laughs> kind of killed people. You're sure about this? God's telling Ananias, go to Saul. It's, con- it's confirming, it's healing, it's commissioning, it's all these things. But God comes directly to Ananias, who is not a prophet. At least not explicitly stated as such, okay? Nobody would see Ananias as a prophet. Ananias has a gift of prophecy. He's just Ananias, a disciple. Uh, Simeon in Luke chapter 2, uh, this is pretty interesting. Let me read to you what happens. Uh, when the time came for their purification, this is when Jesus is born. Hopefully you can't hear my, my daughter screaming in the background. Uh, when the time came for their purification, you probably can According to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph are obeying the law of Moses, bringing Jesus at his time of, for purification. They bring him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It is, it is written in the law of the Lord, every male, right? So they bring the sacrifice. Now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Not a prophet, 
Isn't that the gift of prophecy? At least he's not stated as such because there's no Holy Spirit quite yet to indwell, regenerate, fill, and bring those gifts to life in the way that we see now. So that wouldn't make much sense since Simeon's not listed as a prophet, just a man who was righteous and devout. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that seem like a direct and personal revelation to Simeon? The Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, right? And then Simeon comes in the Spirit, sees baby Jesus, goes, can I hold your berry? Your, not your berry, your baby, Mary and Joseph. They're just holding a giant blackberry. Can I hold your baby? I'm sure they're like, well, sure, yeah. He lifts them up like Rafiki. In Lion King, he takes him up in his arms and he blessed God. And this is what Simeon says. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon is saying, God, you told me I would not die until I saw your salvation. And my eyes have seen it. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And then he tells this to Mary. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that's opposed, and a sword will pierce your soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then we have a prophetess, Anna, coming in. So Anna's listed as a, a prophetess. Simeon's just a guy who gets a personal and direct message from God for himself that benefits no one else necessarily unless you count us as benefiting because we read this and go, prophecy, whoa, then cool. But Simeon somehow knows things about Jesus, delivers a message, and he's not a prophet. Um, Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, he's just one of the priests. Nothing really, he's the father of Johnny B, of course, John the Baptist. But Zechariah is filled with the Spirit and he prophesies. He receives a message from God and declares it by the Spirit. And he's not a prophet. He doesn't have the gift of prophecy. In fact, let me take you to Caiaphas in Luke 11, John 11. One of them, Caiaphas, because they're debating what to do with Jesus at this point. They're going, if we let him go, everyone will believe in him. The Romans will come and take away our place in our nation and our, our really cushy couches. And Caiaphas stands up, who's the high priest of that year, and he said, look, you know nothing nor do you understand it's better for you that one man should die for the people. Not that the whole nation should perish. Now watch. This is Caiaphas, an evil, wicked rebel of God at this point. He does the priestly duties. He goes through the motions. He goes with the flow. He looks all spiritual and religious on the outside. <laughs> Read the, the Gospels. This man is not a follower of God. He does not love God, at least at this point in, in his life. And yet, watch what happens. He didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied. What does it mean to prophesy? To declare the word of the Lord. So he didn't even know what he was saying, because look, he didn't say this of his own accord. Someone, something within him, was moving him to say what he didn't even understand. And yet he spoke it as God would move him to. He declares a message 
from the Lord about what Jesus will be, not for the nation only, but also to gather into the children of God who are scattered abroad. He's talking about how Jesus is going to die for the nation. He prophesied Jesus would die for the nation. So it seems to be a message God is delivering through um, a wicked high priest. I'll say it like that. He's not exactly a godly fella. The way that he puts Jesus on trial and has him beaten and watches the whole thing. There are more people in scripture God speaks directly to who are not, not prophets and who don't have the gift of prophecy. Cain, Hagar, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, Joseph, I guess, Aaron and Miriam prophets, uh, Joshua, Gideon, Samson's parents, Ham, <clears throat> Hannah from Eli. You know, the list goes on and on. So the question becomes, again, when God speaks to someone directly and personally, does that necessitate that they are prophets? Does that mean they have the gift of prophecy or they have to be a prophet? And the answer is no. So what can we conclude from that? That you don't have to be a prophet to receive um, a message from God apart from the scriptures. Not in contradiction to, not without the guidance of the scriptures, but apart from the scriptures. You can receive a dream and a vision and a word from God by the Spirit. But again, how do we test that? How do we discern? How do we recognize? How do we be certain? How do we know what God is saying? If we know he's speaking, how do we know what he means? Because knowing that God is speaking is not the same as knowing what he's saying. So what does he mean? What is this message supposed what is it supposed to do in my life? What am I supposed to do in response? Those are questions we're going to explore throughout this series. But I hope to whet your appetite now, knowing this. Number one, God speaks primarily through his son and his word. So God's voice always sounds like his word. Number two, God does not always deliver a message to people the same exact way. Number three, when God speaks, it doesn't always accomplish the same exact precise purpose. It doesn't always have the same point to it. Number four, God's personal messages to an individual aren't always just for the individual, but they're not always just for other people either. Sometimes it's just for the individual receiving it. Sometimes it's for someone else only. Other times it's both. The fifth thing to know is that when God speaks directly to someone in any kind of fashion, through dreams, visions, a message, a word from the Lord, a prompting in your spirit, when God speaks directly to someone, and as some people don't qualify a prompting from the Spirit as a message from God. I think we're really micro-nitpicking at that point, but I understand the sentiment. You want to preserve cessationism. Um, When God speaks directly to someone apart from Scripture, or even through them without a mediator, that doesn't mean they're a prophet, because that's a typical argument people give. All right? So that's what I think is super important is that you understand these five principles, these five pillars, as we navigate learning how to hear God's voice. And are you possibly missing God speaking because you don't understand any of these five principles or you don't understand one of these five principles? I think understanding these five things at least will help you to be more perceptive 
and more even receptive to the voice of God, to recognizing, discerning, this is a great start for some of you. And though this is very basic for probably a, a bunch of you, it's a good reminder and it's a good starting place for us as we learn to navigate uh, hearing God's voice and as we learn to do this properly. Because again, we're about being true and honest and accurate to the scriptures. And um, I mean, that's the whole basis of this ministry is our mission is to teach people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves. And speaking of such, you can visit <clears throat> abovereproachministry.com um, to check out all the free resources we have. All these links I'm about to get, I'm about to mention are linked in the description below. Okay, so if you're on YouTube, you're on Facebook, wherever you are, <clears throat> the, all these links are in the description below. All our free stuff, free Bible study courses, free devotional studies, free Bible study worksheets, um, free all the sermon notes that I have available, our free online church community, um, all these YouTube teachings, both our podcasts, all of this is completely free. And you can check out Above Reproach Ministry. Go right here to free stuff. You can see my mouse. Click that and you'll see all the free stuff we have. YouTube podcasts, courses, Bible study workshops, all that stuff, okay? Um, <clears throat> so if you really want to learn how to read the Bible, check out our 40-day course. That's a great place to start. Um, if you'd like to get a copy of my book, Fruitful, I learned something cool this week. So you can see right here. And this is the essential keys to living the most abundant, satisfying Christian life this side of heaven. Um, not the Joel Osteen kind. Not to put him on blast, but you know what I mean. Okay. <clears throat> so the essential keys to living the most abundant, satisfying Christian life. Knowing your purpose, knowing your identity, and knowing your process. You can get a copy on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can get a Kindle version if you don't like reading or if you're international and you can't get a physical copy. You can download the digital copy and get a Kindle version. That's right here. Um, and if you're a new believer, click right here. Take you right here to our new believer section. These are all the essentials that I recommend a new believer to have or to learn. And all the stuff I wish I knew. And most of it is on YouTube, but it's organized for you guys. And if you'd like to give to this ministry because you believe in the mission here and you want to help us teach people how to re read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves, if you think this mission is admirable um, and you want to help us to continue creating all the free resources we have, your generous support is what makes all this available and possible. Anyone around the world can come and enjoy and glean and download all the free stuff that we have. So I have a wife and two kids. If you didn't know, I'm really 31 years old. I promise I'm not 17 skipping out on high school today. I promise. Okay. You, you can call my mom. I'll call her right now and put her on the mic. Mom, how old am I? She'll say 31. 31 years old. Because <clears throat> I pay her money to say that. No, I, I really am. So I have a family to care for and we live here in South Carolina. This is my full-time ministry. Um... It's not mine, but you know what I mean? I oversee and I steward and I'm doing my best to, to manage what God has entrusted to us. If, if you want to give, you can give by sending a check to P.O. Box 509 Inman. Donate right here through your debit or credit card straight out of the bank account. Or if you like PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo, we got all three of those. You can become a monthly supporter on Patreon. There's exclusive benefits with that. Or get some church merch right here and represent Jesus on your body. I think that's all I got for you. Um... Yes. Discord, online church. Discord is the app, not what we sow. Uh, both our podcast. And let's continue learning how to hear the voice of God each and every week. Uh, next week, I'll be gone Monday. And so we'll be having the live stream Tuesday instead of Monday. So make sure you mark your calendars. I'll make an announcement. And um, that's all I got for you guys.
I love y'all. Keep moving towards Jesus. And um, we'd love to see you guys in the online church community if you're not already in there. All right. I'll see you guys later. Keep moving towards Jesus. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. I need your help. Would you rate this podcast and give it an honest review to let others know what they can expect from this podcast? It would really help us in reaching more people with the truth of God's word. And be sure to check out AboveReproachMinistry.com for all of our free resources like trainings, Bible courses, worksheets, our online church, and much more. Thanks again for listening to this podcast and leaving a good review for others.